Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Franica. I'm Ben Harrison. Feeling pretty good about the episode to come, Ben. Yeah? Eh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to oversell it, right? No. The the adage we live by here on the Greatest Generation is under promise and under deliver. You know some shows will record their episode and then record the intro? Mm. Like a, we have a great episode coming up for you. We talk about this this, and this. Yeah. They, they do like the thing you are actually supposed to do in broadcasting, which is you say what you're going to say, you say it, and then you say, it, say what you just said, you know? Something many of our viewers might not be aware of is that we never pre-plan a Marin Open, outside of, like, my having gone to get mail or whatever. Yeah, or, like, you know, the 30 seconds before, like, let's uh, let's have a deck of cards in our hands just in case. Yeah. Weird, right? Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> I, feel, I fun, suddenly feel the uh, overwhelming pressure of, <laughs> of that fact <laughs> in a way that I never have before, now that we're looking right at it. Oh, no. Yeah, I, ta- <laughs> I talked about it during... Ben, that was the crucial error I made. Yeah, yeah. You uh, you know, like, I, I listen to the Savage Love podcast, mm-hmm. hosted by Dan Savage. And, uh, One some, of the greats. Some, sometimes somebody will call in and say, like, my partner wants me to do dirty talk, and uh, I don't really know what I'm doing with that. And he, he gives the same advice. It's you tell him what you're going to do to him, you do it to him, and you describe it as you're doing it to them, and then you tell him <laughs> what you just did to him. <laughs> I mean, uh, I just feel like that's failing me right now. (laughs) Well, Ben, I'm going to slap those tits. (laughs) Watch me as I'm slapping your tits. Oh, you're slapping them. Did you you like it when I slapped those tits? Yeah, I liked it. (laughs) Ben, you're getting ready to go on a big trip soon. You don't have to say where. But uh, it involves it involves a long flight. How do you prepare for a long flight? I think that might be something that people want to hear about. Yeah, I'm going to uh, Central America for a wedding, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. But it's it is one of those flights where it departs at 12:30 a.m. and lands at like 8:15 a.m. So it's an overnighter. Pretty classic uh, red eye situation. Yeah, and uh, not in a lay flat. Um, mm. Have you ever done an overnight flight where you could actually spread out like that? No, I've never had the opportunity or <laughs> the funds. I had a shoot in Germany, and I think I was flying back from Frankfurt to, uh, and 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 then I had a shoot in L.A. This is when I still lived in New York. Like I, it was uh, a, a very like busy time in my career where I literally had a shoot in Germany and then I had to fly directly from it to LA for a different shoot. And I asked at the desk when I got to, you know, in, in the Frankfurt airport, when I got to the desk for my flight, like, Hey, is there any availability for a lay flat seat? And if so, like, what would that run me? And I had enough sky miles to like make it happen 
Wow. And it was like a number of sky miles and the hundred dollars. And it's the best hundred dollars I ever spent because Jeez, I no got kidding. eight hours of good sleep on this airplane, woke up, like got surfed breakfast, walked off the airplane, drove two hours and like did a full day of shooting and I was fine. You were fresh. Yeah. You were shizen fresh. This is how the rich get richer, you know? They're they're catching sleep that the rest of us don't have opportunities for. Yeah, they're buying time. They get uh they get much fancier alcohol than we get, so they don't have as bad of hangovers. Well, I mean, the the brood cured that for us. Oh. Cured it for you. I still don't <laughs> have I don't have a personal supply of broads yet. Oh jeez. Well, Ben, uh, back when I worked at Giant Aerospace Company, I did a a short documentary about a version of the lay flat seats that the Emirates airline does. Oh yeah, which is an actual closed cabin and first. Oh yeah, yeah, it's like a little little micro hotel room. It is fantastic in there. Shooting the video was as close as I'll <laughs> ever get to flying that way, probably, <laughs> but. Boy, oh boy, what a what a delight that's got to be. You can only hope that the people who can afford to do that uh, appreciate it while they do. Yeah, because this is a wedding, it's like a fairly brief trip, and I'm a little apprehensive about the amount of recovery will be entailed in my visit, you know? Right, yeah. Um, one thing I, I tried a couple years ago was I had a, an overnight flight to Europe, and I thought, well, red wine sometimes makes me sleepy, and uh, on a on an international flight like this, often the the booze is free on an airplane. So yeah. I'll order myself a glass of red wine, and uh, I ordered it. And the flight attendant set it on the uh, the little fold down tray table, oh, which no. had a fault in it that oh, neither no. of us knew about. Which is the second any amount of weight was applied to it, it like no. clicked down two more clicks, and the glass just slid into my lap. And then oh. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> I was wearing khakis too, so I had to fly oh. to Europe in in uh, pants that looked like I'd taken a bloody piss in. <laughs> well, at least uh, it obscured the bloody piss that you took later. Yeah, I mean, it did have that advantage, which was cool. <laughs> wow! Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a real bummer, and she was she felt terrible about it. Uh, and I don't want anybody to feel ter- terrible about anything. Right. That's why you apologized profusely. Yeah. She was like shocked that that I was nice to her about it. Man. I don't really, yeah. I think that the one thing that I've learned in traveling that has really made a big difference for me in terms of being able to sleep in unfamiliar places, like on airplanes and in hotel rooms, is that uh, at a certain point I adopted eye mask sleeping. So uh, I ordered like a good eye mask off of uh off of the internet and i've just gotten in the habit of putting on the eye mask when it's time to sleep whether i'm at home or uh you know traveling with the show or traveling for work or whatever uh and it's one of those things that's a real unambiguous signal to your body that it's sleepy time yeah and it you know it also cuts out all the like superfluous light of all of the iPads around you on an airplane or whatever. You pair that with a ball gag and it's an unambiguous signal that it's sexy time. Right. Yeah. So it can serve a lot of functions. Sure. But 
How do the other airplane passengers like the studded leather eye mask you put on in your seat? They're not crazy about it, but then when they see that my cock is in a cage, they're like, oh, well, at least it's caged up, you know? Ben sitting in his airplane seat with, like, bloody-looking pants <laughs> and a cock cage. Mmm! <laughs> <laughs> You arrive uh, very rested, I bet. Yeah. I have a hard time drinking on planes in that uh, I really, really can't have more than two. I seem to get a no-doubt headache after hmm. my second drink on an airplane, no matter how long the, the flight is. So I really have to take it easy. And because I don't like to get up and use the bathroom, and because I'm a windowman, I don't hydrate like I should. Yeah. I've uh, I've just resigned myself to popping up 25 times per hour no matter what on flights because i always have to go to the bathroom yeah well hopefully that was useful to someone yeah maybe there's like one person in the audience that's like oh maybe i'll order a ball gag <laughs> at the 200 and something episode of this show we finally got into travel tips that's great <laughs> good job by us do you have tips for me what do you do when you go on an overnighter? I mean, honestly, I do my best not to book them. I would rather take a brown eye than a red eye. And, the, <laughs> and by that, I mean, that is a colloquialism that my friends and I have come up with for the 5 a.m., the 5 or 6 a.m. flight. Ooh, wow. Like, like I, that is actually preferred to me Shit. over the midnight flight. Like, I would rather get to a new place in the afternoon or in the evening and then have super tired time before bed that I'm still staying up for, and yeah. then go to bed at the time when I'm supposed to go to bed in the place that I've arrived, versus try to act as if I've gotten an entire night's sleep on my way there, which so rarely seems to work for me. My normal rule is no flights before 10 a.m. I mean, professionally, that's absolutely the rule. Yeah, if, if, uh, if I'm doing it for, for remuneration... Yeah. It's that. And if it's like, if I can't get there in time, then it's like, fly me out the day before, or put me up yeah. in a hotel. Yeah. But That's industry standard right there. That's how it's got to be. But when you're flying personally for recreation or vacation, it's a yeah. harder thing to do, especially when you're when you're flying with a significant other who has their own preferences about when to depart. You right. You often yeah. get your way. Let's transition into something that the people listening actually give a shit about, Adam. <laughs> Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Of course they give a shit about that. It's uh, season three, episode 23, Family Business. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. In the continuing adventures of off-duty Ben Sisko, just... Doing whatever the fuck he wants to do while people sharpen razor blades and affix bayonets on the other side of the wormhole. Ben Sisko's cooking a nice pot of chicken paprikash. You're cooking chicken paprikash. Paprikash. Ankylosaur. It's a real dish. <laughs> that's, a, that's a real dish that exists. I feel like sometimes they, they make up a fake dish, like a space dish, you know? Yeah. Kind of neither... F- Neither uh, fish nor fowl. The way this this shot opens, where he's cutting up a carrot that he's going to add to a salad. There's a couple of things on the cutting board already. There's like the cores of some tomatoes, which uh, not really sure who cuts tomatoes like that. 
like <laughs> like uh, like the cores of tomatoes as though they are apples. And then there's some pretty nicely done like thin slices of cucumber. And then it's those carrots that you get on a crudite platter from Costco, you know, like the, oh, the little babies. The, no, they're not the babies. They're like the they're they're the quarter cut carrots, you know. They're oh. like they're the you know three inch carrot spears, and he's just cutting one of those up. So he's got his little pile of carrots, and then he adds just some of them to the salad. Like <laughs> that's not the move of a guy that grew up working in his dad's kitchen, you know. That's not a thing anyone does. And if you're coring your tomatoes before putting them on a salad, uh, your tomatoes aren't ripe. Right. It's just a lot weird about this. but uh... Also, you could step up to the replicator and go like, hey, replicator, give me four tomatoes, ripe, <laughs> no cores. <laughs> That's something you could do, right? Here's the thing, Adam. Tomatoes don't have cores. They just have, <laughs> you know, different pockets of seeds and, and fruit, you know? computer voice is like what are you talking about <laughs> does not compute <laughs> yeah uh, i hope the chicken paprikash is better than the salad tbh you know we all have our strengths in cooking ben cisco just drowns it in ranch dressing <laughs> <laughs> like that is it ben cisco is like fifth on the list of star trek captains after that <laughs> But when he's pouring it, Jake is just looking on, like, licking his chops. You know Captain Picard appreciates a vinaigrette, probably. Jake is continuing his project of getting his dad's dick wet. How about tomorrow night? Uh, still still pushing this blind date with, uh, with the freighter captain, Captain Cassidy Yates, mentioned in the previous episode. And Ben Sisko has, uh, has agreed at least to meet her but he doesn't want it to be like a blind date that is set up actively by his son. Right. Cassidy Yates' ship has docked, and Jake is hoping that his father's dick will be docking with her. Right. (laughs) She wants the pylon. (laughs) I love how both in the last episode and this one, there is no uh, class conflict between Starfleet commander and freighter ship captain. It's never mentioned as a thought that she may be beneath him because she runs freight. Or above him because she's a captain. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, it may come up later, but for right now, I I like that it's not a barrier. Yeah, like neither of them care about that. Next scene is uh, Quark and Rom uh, really hustling because the bar is slammed. Quark wants to know why Nog isn't there helping them, and it's because... Nog is working on his Starfleet application. He's writing that personal essay, Adam. Webster's Dictionary defines profit as. <laughs> <laughs> Rom is a, uh, is a proud papa here. Like, he's, he's defending his son's absence in a strong way. Like, he's pushing back hard on the idea that, that the restaurant is where Nog should be. I also noticed that Rom was wearing the same shirt fabric as that as that Ferengi that was, like, impersonating a male that worked in the bar. Remember that lady? I do remember her. Yeah. I feel like they gave that lady's ears to brunt of the Ferengi Commerce Authority that rolls in to Quark's Bar and Grill. Yeah. And, uh, and slaps an uppercase C on the doorway. <laughs> Uh, yeah. This is a writ of accountability, Ben, and it is uh, really bad news for their business. Yeah, this uh, really puts the fear of God in Quark and Rom 
uh, without needing any direction from Quark, Rom shuts the bar down and asks their throng of patrons to leave. Uh, they are very scared about what the arrival of this character, Brunt, heralds. Uh, I was pretty blindsided by this. I didn't think there'd be much to fear from Brunt because he looks like he's dressed for a mariachi band. <laughs> he's got great costuming in this ep. Good job by Brunt. Yeah. Uh, it feels like an audit. You know, when we when we talk about a writ of accountability, it feels very audit-like, especially in the scene that follows where they're they're going over the books. It's interesting to think about, like, the idea that Ferengi commerce would be heavily regulated in a way where there's an agency with actual teeth. But they also, like, openly bribe him several times, and he talks about how getting to where he is required doing a lot of bribing yeah it clashed a little bit for me like right because because there's so much soft money in the same circumstances as hard money yeah it's strange credulity a little bit that both could coexist in that way i wonder if professionally you're just concerned with bars and on the down low you're only concerned with slips yeah because the slip is the form of of bribing that gets exchanged. This whole episode, people are pulling out slips of latinum and passing them back and forth. Mm-hmm. Rom remains totally guileless, and uh, in this scene, kind of can't quite yes and his brother on whether there are other assets that they haven't disclosed to the uh, to this auditor, and uh, that means that uh, it kind of slips out that the Tulaberry Wine franchise didn't get disclosed. And uh, it, it's clear that Quark was kind of trying to cover some of it, you know, protect some of his assets from exposure to whatever corrective action the FCA might be contemplating. I'll tell you why that Tulaberry Wine franchise failed is because they named it Juicelini's. <laughs> <laughs> you get to pick the right name. Yeah. First of all. Yeah. Is that a is that a throwback to a, a greatest discovery episode? It is. Yeah. <laughs> That's gonna confuse a lot of people who don't listen to both. Well, you gotta be a completionist to get this show. Yeah. One of the reasons that Quark is really agitated is that he doesn't know what the charges are and uh and that requires quite a bit of bribery to get to. When he finally is able to get this out of Brunt, the crime is failing to properly supervise a family member, that family member in question being the mother of Rom and Quark, who has, uh, on the down low, been accumulating profit, which is one of the worst things a female can do in the Ferengi culture. The deal is that Quark and Rom are going to go go home to Ferenginar to attempt to convince their mom to like sign a confession and remunerate the FCA for all of the uh, all of the money that she got through ill means and and by ill means they just mean being a lady but she's an old lady i mean look at her she's old you can't just take her stuff she's too old so for some reason uh quark needs to say some goodbyes before he leaves the station <laughs> one of these goodbyes is for odo and he does that thing where he like asks a trusted friend to watch his shit for him while he's away. It implied to me that the bar was going to remain open. That's what I thought. It seems insane that they would close it. Is there literally nobody else that they can trust to operate it? That really didn't make sense to me. Like, you don't want to close a casino. 
The only reason you would close a casino is if it went out of business, but that's impossible. Yeah, there's no way you can lose money running a casino. There's no, there'd be no reason to close it, Ben. You're right. You'd have to be an idiot to close one of those. Going bankrupt running a casino would bespeak just a profoundly bad sense of business judgment, right? <laughs> Hard agree. I kind of felt like this might just be shoehorning Odo into the episode. This is an episode directed by uh, Rene Abergenois, is it not? Oh, is it? I didn't. Uh, I didn't catch the director credit as it rolled by. It is. Yeah. Get to get yourself in there a little bit if you can. Yeah. And that's a scene. It also gives Quark the opportunity to state how reluctant he is to go on this mission. And he also he's also teaching the viewer what he needs to do, right? By talking to Odo, he's saying that uh, I'm on a mission to go see my mom. And on this mission, I need to get a few things done. I need to get her to admit fault. I need to get her to disclose her accomplices, etc., etc., He's resentful of this errand. Yeah. And it is a resentfulness that, it, that is established in this scene. When Rom announces that he's coming with, that is also something that Quark is really resistant to. Quark has a, a pretty bad attitude about basically everybody in his family. I mean, part of it is that Rom has such affection for their mother and Quark does not. And his affection is irritating. Yeah. I think Quark also feels like uh, his mom has chosen a favorite, and it's not him. And that doesn't feel good either. So uh, they head to Ferenginar, which uh, looks like a planet I would like to visit. Uh, cold and rainy, just how I yeah. like it. <laughs> Go ahead, Ben. Go ahead and move there. I mean, I, like the the local culture is kind of trash, but uh, but the environment is delightful. I think you'd get pretty tired of whipping things over your head before using them. <laughs> the the lasso pantomiming planet of Ferenginar. Yeah, I wonder how people that that arose on a, a planet as wet as this got into cracking whips over their heads. Because the weather doesn't play into the story at all. Pretty interesting choice to make it stormy in the exterior because all you're doing is you're making your actors touch their prostheses. Yeah. Which is something that they do when they arrive at the Quark family matriarch's home. Like they're tallying each other off. And I mean, that adds a degree of difficulty to what they're doing here production wise. Yeah. I really loved it though. Like the home entry customs on Ferenginar are very yeah. delightfully alien. You know, you like pay admission to enter somebody's home, no matter what you're there, what business you're there on, including official government enforcement business. Yeah, and then I really like that. You get like a, a hand towel to wipe off your loaf. <laughs> like it was very considered in a way that was really fun. Like they really invented yeah. a, a thing about Ferengi that is new and and dimensionalizing. It feels very lived in the way that these visitors interact with these these systems too. Yeah, the cash box has the Nagus head on it that <laughs> uh, you, I, we recognize from the scepter that the Grand Nagus carries around. Yeah, it feels like bust of John F. Kennedy adjacent, <laughs> you know? Do you think when the Nagus changes, like when there's a new Nagus, do they have to change the Nagus head on everything? It's like changing the portrait in the post office, right? Yeah. 
That's the that's the business you want to be in, right? Like the the that's bust a, maker. That's re- recession proof. Is Golden Nagus Head manufacturer? That's a growth industry, <laughs> especially with the Nagus as advanced of years as he is. Do you or did you have a nickname for a a grandparent that was not grandma or grandpa? Were you a a mama or a peepa person? Because Moogie seems to be that kind of name. Uh, my mom had a mama. So she was kind of my mamma, but I only ever knew one grandparent, yeah. and he was just grandpa. Yeah, my grandparents kept the names pretty straight. Yeah. But uh, but Moogie's a lot of fun. And it's said with such affection from Rom that it only serves to irritate Quark, who very rarely and reluctantly uses that name for her. Yeah, and, and a couple of times slips up and, and says it out of habit and then is embarrassed in yeah. a fun way. The thing about Moogie is that uh, she knows she's in trouble, but she also doesn't believe she's done anything wrong. Right. And that's going to be a problem because Quark was expecting to breeze on in, get a sealed admission from her, and then go back and open the bar, which is rapidly losing money Yeah. every second they're away. And he's got a, a timeline for this. The, the FCA guy, Brunt, gives him three days to talk his mom into signing this confession and as they're discussing that they're in her front sitting room and she she comes out scandal of scandal wearing clothing brunt and quark react in a way that uh, implies that they're totally disgusted and rom doesn't even notice he just uh, you know runs up and gives her a great big hug the averting of their eyes from a clothed woman is is a really nice contrast <laughs> to what your expectations are. But it, it it's also the taboos that exist in their culture that she would never speak to a strange man. And when she, you know, barks at Brunt to get the fuck out of her house, he can't he can't even square the circle. You know, he's just like, what? Did she just say something to me? Ben, we cut back to DS Nine. Fairly rarely, rarely enough to where I kind of believe the B story is actually a C story, and we just have an A and a C story in the sip. Well, we have a D story, if that's the case. <laughs> right. Uh, which is uh, O'Brien and Bashir want their dartboard back. <laughs> and even they can't understand why Quark's is closed. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I kind of agree with you. The comedy of the C story, as you've styled it, uh, has come out uh, in dribs and drabs, and basically the idea is that Jake has has really put Cisco's business out in the streets, and <laughs> everybody knows that there's a blind date in the offing. Exactly how many people has Jake told about this woman? Everyone. This would destroy me. <laughs> I would be so upset by this. Yeah. To his credit, Ben Sisko playing it super cool. Like he's just sort of like shrug shouldered and what are you going to do about it? But wow, everyone on the station knows. It puts a lot of really intense expectations on this. Like like he's a widower, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like the idea that he has to go hit it off with this lady for everybody to get what they're hoping for out of this situation. It's a lot of pressure to put on it. Anything you do with her has to be in public, too. Like, you can't just invite her over for dinner. That that wouldn't look good to everyone else. And so if you do anything in public with her, you're just on display. Not a great look for Jake. This uh, No. But, uh... Where's Lita in all this? 
the lady that was kicking it to Bashir in the last episode? Yeah. I would like to know her thoughts. I would like more Lita. How, yeah. how how do you introduce Lita and then not follow up with her in the very next episode? Why isn't she the main character now? <laughs> <laughs> Look, they aren't they're not able to bust this lock that Rom devised to keep the bar closed, and so this scene just serves to underscore how awkward whatever plans Ben Cisco has with Captain Yates. It makes that whole situation fairly awkward. Mm-hmm. They they don't break in and get the dartboard, is my point. It's a failure. Shut up! Shut up! Shut! 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 Shut up! On Ferenginar, um, Cork is just casting about desperately to try and figure out how they deal with the situation with his mom because she has expressed zero interest in confessing to any crimes. And the potential consequences of this are that Quark will be responsible for the punishments like and the punishments being making the FCA whole on this on the profits that they believe that she has that she has earned um what's and- worse is like she hasn't even displayed the slightest bit of flexibility in it she's like downright hostile to the idea of admitting guilt here and even worse than that, she's uh, she's late getting their meals on the table. Quark is complaining, and uh, Ram is like, "Oh yeah, like she's uh, her skin is just getting used to clothing, so she's got a little bit of a rash." And Quark is like, "Oh, this is great! Like we could we could like spin this as like she's sick. It's like addled her mind. Maybe she could be forgiven, and we won't even have to pay anybody any money." Ben, I'm looking down at that meal, and I'm thinking, sure, you can blame her behavior on an illness, but. You could also blame it on a nubbin bug because they're getting down on some conspiracy mealworms. Raise your hand if you want seconds. Oh shit, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, man. You gotta check for nubbins anytime uh, the worms have hit the table. Eat hearty, brother. Relish in your body. So maybe she's got a nubbin. But also, Ferengis eat gross shit. You should suspect nubbin if there's mealworms on the table. If the nubbin doesn't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> Quark is embarrassed by his mother, clearly. And this is in direct opposition with Rom's enjoyment of her eccentricities. And this is just like, this is a family conflict that you see in a lot of families. The different feelings about a person or a situation that create conflicts in and of themselves. Yeah, and resentment of childhood traumas is like a major, that's like what people go to therapy to talk about. Mm -hmm. Her eccentricities have always been a factor, and Quark has always butted heads with her, and this is just kind of, she has continued to be who she is, and he has continued to be who he is, and they've grown further and further apart as a result. Quark's initial idea of the violation is like she made three bars of latinum. That's not a big deal. Turns out Moogie has like made a large investment and has reaped large gains off of it. She's got a she's got a business empire that's just shell corporations all the way down. The problem with her great amount of profit is that 
she's got to pay it back and the family has to pay an equal amount as a fine. So like it has the potential to bankrupt Quark. And the whole reason Quark got into the casino business was that he knew that there'd be no way he could ever go bankrupt. Right. Like it would just be impossible. It's bumper bowling for business. Right. But even in that almost totally surefire business world, the amount of money he has earned is not enough to cover the amount that his mom has earned. She's just kind of a baller. Right. Uh, There's a a pretty fun scene where Ram and Moogie go into her bedroom and he's a little uncomfortable in her presence. And to make him feel more comfortable, she she dumps him out. (laughs) We get quite a lot of loaf. We get... uh, Loaf décolletage, we get loaf knees. For all of the effort that they put into Moogie's body loaf, her head loaf looks like a Spartan gladiator helmet <laughs> with the way it cuts around her mouth. Yeah. The, the, Did you notice this? They tried to give her like droopy dog jowls and it doesn't yeah. really work. No, kind of doesn't. It's a, it's a lot of loaf and it's all over. It's a real feast for the eyes, Ben. They have a, you know, like a heart to heart about what Quark represents to both of them. And Rom, you know, manages to transition this into what he admires about Quark. Back on the station, uh, Ben Sisko is finally meeting Cassidy Yates. She's in the middle of working and he just sort of pops by. Don't be an idiot. He not only pops by to say hello, he cargo splains her, which is not a great look for Ben Sisko. It's not a great look, but also, like, it it was what everybody was thinking. Yeah, you can't hand stack. Yeah. The issue is that uh, that she's transporting sensitive biological samples of some kind, and she doesn't have a good enough transporter to uh, bring them aboard automatically, so she's got to do it manually. I liked the design of this scene. Like, she's got, like, Cassidy Yates brand shipping containers all over yeah, the place. I dug that, too. And uh, she's clearly got, like, a fairly big crew of uh, of people working for her. She's kind of, you know, for all of the cargo explaining that he subjects her to, she is kind of a badass. Like, she doesn't, uh, she doesn't really take any guff from him. She flips that shit right back in his face the way he deserves and gives off the impression of being, like, a really, like, collected, professional, uh, cool person and somebody that I would be interested for him to get to know. They arrange for a nighttime coffee date at 1,800 hours, Ben. And specifically, she proposes this. Yeah, yeah. Which is sort of like in the George Costanza parlance, kind of a indication of a hookup. Coffee's not coffee. Coffee is sex. If, if it's in the Adam Pranica parlance, though, it's just an indication of a very awkward uh, run to the bathroom, right? <laughs> <laughs> You know, speaking of those uh, branded containers, Ben, that's this is the second instance of of some branding elements in the episode. You get the Cassidy Yates brand container, but this is also the first time that I'd ever noticed a sign outside of Quarks. Did you notice that digital reader board sign? Oh, yeah, with the, like, rotating 3D text in the Star Trek font? Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. Like, I, I understand why that wasn't framed... Well, because I don't think you want to see that in its entirety. I think it looks cheesy the more you see it. Right. But it was a fun little glimpse at, at that. I hadn't seen that before, I don't think. No, yeah. I, I, uh, I noticed that as well, and I liked it. 
Cisco's beard is also considerably more trim and uh, close cut than it was in the last episode. So I would say those elements are better. He's, yeah, he's dialing the beard in. I think in the last episode, it looked a little glued on, even though I know that wasn't the case. Yeah, it was just, it wasn't uh, clean cut enough for, for a TV camera. And I mean... The phases of Commander Riker's beard were not always constant either. It's a horrible thing to say to a man. It, it took him a little bit of time to, to get it right. So back on Ferenginar, uh, Quark has discovered not just a few transactions, but like a ton of them. So many that he can't even count them all. Uh, he knows he's ruined if, if Moogie is unable to admit fault. And so uh, Rom and Quark discuss what the next move is going to be. And Quark is almost catatonic at this realization of how much trouble that the family is in. Uh, the only way out, logically, is to kill Moogie. Fucking A. And so he does. He marches into the next room, wings a phaser whip over his head, and shoots his mother in the head. Crazy how her head just flies clear off her body. <laughs> and then we go to end credits. I wonder... If you had an opinion about where the line is between fear for herself and fear for his mother with Quark, because it seems to me that because a lot of the punishment for these infractions splashes over onto him, he has personal reasons to be concerned about this. But he also, a number of times, tries to make the case directly to her, like they'll string you up in the sacred marketplace and stuff like his he he does express some worry on her behalf as well i never found his concern for his mother credible i only thought that he was in it for himself i actually believed momentarily that he would kill her if given the chance to save himself Hmm. and it's sort of what made the end of the episode and his eventual recognition of his affection for her feel kind of hollow because it came at the heels of how desperate he became in wanting to solve this problem that could have such terrible consequences for him. Yeah, because he storms down to the FCA offices and is like waiting for Brent in the waiting room when Ram shows up and is like, like, we can resolve this. She'll give you half the money she earned. And... Cork is like, okay, cool, we'll uh, we'll head out. We don't need to see Brunt. Which again is like so, it's so motivated by self-interest instead of what's great for mom because he sees it as a way to make a profit off of the problem. But they've both been manipulated by Rom because Rom just wanted to get them in the same room again because up to this point they hadn't really been talking. Yeah, and, and this is a very like the parent trap ploy on Rom's behalf. To, to do that uh, because when Ra- when Quark gets back there Moogie's uh, understanding of the situation has nothing to do with the idea that she would give any money to Quark many episodes ago Rom had like a trance of persuasiveness towards Quark about how he had to make sure that Nog had a better life than him because of the mistakes that he's made and like it was just a really eloquent and elegant argument in that moment that seemed very unrom like yeah and then this scene we get another shocking burst of persuasiveness from him that's like will <laughs> ferrell in the, de- in the debate scene from old school where he like 
he totally brings them together and tells them exactly why and tells them how significant and important it is that they are able to come to some sort of, of agreement before leaving the room. It was like, Rom, where did this come from? He is such an idiot most of the time, but his performance is such that like he lulls you into this sense that he's dumb, but he's not. Yeah. It's really a great magic trick by him. I think it's a great series of choices on uh, the part of Max Gradenchik. He is dumb for a Ferengi where the values of Ferengi society set out like a set of things to feel proud about and he doesn't have any of those things. Right. But he is smart for a person. Yeah. That is an interesting distinction. To be quite honest about it, that is an appeal. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my dead state. I don't use the bucket anymore. His plan to manipulate is successful because after Rom storms off, uh, Moogie and Quark calmly discuss their circumstances in the aftermath, and she says finally that she'll confess. She agrees to admit to these crimes out of motherly love. Yeah. And I kind of agree with you that it's not an entirely earned moment, given how cruel and self-serving Quark has been. I mean, I I totally believe that motherly love can exist in the face of cruelty and self-servingness in this way, but it is a sad day in Star Trek when the conservative status quo is maintained Hmm. Because of one relationship and one one you know male characters, Fifi's not wanting to get hurt. I guess one of the ways that Quark's feelings for Moogie feel real and earned is that he still needs to keep up this appearance of affection because Moogie has not signed on the line that is dotted, mm-hmm. admitting her fault here. So, like his affection for her still feels man- manipulative. At this point. Yeah, but uh, it, it it was a sad moment in the episode for me because I kind of yeah. felt like we were about to embark on, like, Frankie women's lib. It's about pride and knowing I'm just as capable of earning profit as any male. And suddenly it doesn't feel like that at all. It will make you happy. I'll give back the money. And uh, we cut away from that to this coffee date. Yeah, you can only drink two cups of coffee on any coffee date, Ben, which really kind of puts a ticking clock on the whole thing. Yeah, it's a it's not a bad first date because the the pressure's pretty low. Like it is pretty hard to transition from coffee date to getting down. Even you know that. And I have a normal butt. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it feels like the date is going fine. Right. I would say there has neither been uh, the white hot flames of of an instant attraction, nor has there been a oh, what have I done kind of regretful feeling about making these plans. But it sort of feels like uh, like a little bit tepid. Right. At this point. There's, there's not a guaranteed second date necessarily happening like sparks are not flying. The thing that they've bonded over basically is that how they've ended up in this situation because of Jake. Right. And she also just isn't really like fully present. If she had a an iPhone, she would be checking it frequently, kind of a yeah. kind of a deal. 
And he's like, uh, is there some place you'd rather be? And it comes out that her brother lives clear on the other side of Federation space and uh, is a baseball player. He's transmitting the, uh, the play-by-play of a recent game to her. And uh, she wants to go listen to it. This, uh, this causes Ben Sisko to flip the fuck out. I mean, to whatever degree someone is a character on a date, like a character of their best self, Ben Sisko breaks that character and he becomes happy and like almost childlike in his excitement. I had no idea. That's fantastic. It's really great. Yeah. And so uh, and so they decide to go to a second location. They uh, <laughs> which is a great sign for any date. Um, why, why don't you say, what do you say the two of us clear out of here and go uh, listen to a baseball game on the radio, old-timey style? And uh, off they go. The camera pans up to the second level of the promenade where uh, Jake Sisko is leaning over the, uh, the not-to-code, way-too-low banister, <laughs> grinning ear-to-ear at the success of his, uh, of his matchmaking. Jake knows that he has a little more time in the apartment by himself, and that's a good thing for an adolescent. Here we go. Crank it like his life depends on it. When is Jake going to get an apartment of his own? That's going to be a thing, isn't it? How old is this kid? 16 still? I'll tell you what, Adam. When I was (laughs) a senior in high school, dear friend of mine, her parents uh, had a, a work thing, had to move to a different state and for the last semester of senior year of high school she lived by herself in her own apartment what and so she had like a a private apartment near school that we could like go hang out at and like play video games and smoke doobies and stuff that is amazing it was incredible wow she fed herself adequately and like she did her own laundry and shit. Like I, like I, like high school is fairly early to, to be that kind of self-sufficient. Was she always like a very, a very mature person in this way? Yeah, she, she was. And, and she's, she's always been more mature than me. Uh, oh yeah. But, uh, goes without saying. But yeah, like, um, you know, she was just a, a like an incredibly self-possessed person and, she did fine. Like almost anybody else, a parent doing that would seem like a crazy choice. And in the case of her, it was like, oh yeah, like she's perfectly, perfectly capable of uh, running a household by herself. Hmm. Um, but it was also awesome from a high school perspective because, like, it was it was a great hang over there. Jeez, was it just party every weekend? It wasn't really like I think that might be like why she was able to do it. It was like it was a fun hang and like it was, you know, there was definitely like some of that for sure. But it wasn't mayhem, you know, Mm. I kind of get the sense that if Jake had that kind of freedom, it would be mayhem. Agreed. He'd be hat tricking it a couple of times a day. With women five to ten years older than him. <laughs> Back on Ferenginar, uh, the button on the episode is that Moogie is signing the confession, but she's still being Moogie. Like, Moogie's still being Moogie about it. She's still talking to Brunt. She's still 
wearing clothes. Well, when Brent is there, she isn't wearing the clothes, and she's kind of playing doofy, right? Yeah. Giving the impression that she is the the helpless idiot that their misogynistic culture projects upon her. She's kind of being sarcastic in that, uh, sure, officer, here's my ID, like <laughs> right. that, that kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. She is saying everything she has to say, but she's not meaning it. Right. So the second Brent leaves with the, uh, with the belief in his mind that he's been paid for, uh, for all of the, all of the crimes she, that she has committed, she immediately slips her, her, uh, cover up back on and is like, Jesus, glad that's over. And then once Quark is out of the room, we come to understand that she's in fact only disclosed about a third of her assets to the FCA. Which is uh, going to be an ongoing concern, probably, right? Yeah, I would say that this is uh, establishing a, a new character, for sure. It also establishes a relationship imbalance, an ongoing relationship imbalance between Quark and his brother, in that his brother knows more than Quark does, and that could be a problem, right? Yeah. An interesting character. Uh, you know, we've heard so much about what life is like for women on Ferenginar in just kind of implication over the years, over the 200-something episodes of Star Trek that we've watched. This is finally a glimpse of the of the planet and of somebody who's bucking that system. But, you know, you have to write an episode like this, right? Like, you couldn't, you couldn't write an episode about a super traditional Ferengi woman who is following all the rules neither episode that dealt with female rights on Ferenginar had happy endings no neither Pell nor Moogie wins yeah you don't get the sense that a a sea change major cultural shift is going to take place for these for these aliens and on the one hand I like episodes and stories that don't end neatly but on the other hand like for reasons that you stated before, it would be nice to get a win in this column for Lady Ferengis. Yeah, I agree, and uh, and I think it's a, it is a very noticeably un TNG move to do it this way. You know, mm-hmm. like TNG did not did not leave people's rights undefended like this. Yeah. More and more and more. Sweet. More more more. Good everybody. More. Well, Adam, did this episode grow the beard or did it grow the board? Still doing that. (laughs) I don't know what you mean by bored. Like, were you bored by it? Oh, I see. This is a really difficult one to answer. I mean, I really liked meeting Moogie. I really liked uh, the actor who played her. I liked seeing the family conflict between she and Ram and Quark. But, like, Quark makes the case that he has everything to lose. Did you ever feel like that was really at stake? He's so good at business, and he's so good at wiggling out of trouble Yeah. that had there ever been an instance where he was really slapped down hard for something, I would have felt that the danger was real for him. 
and I never really got that. Yeah, he seems too slippery. I don't know how you correct that with a tweak or a scene, but uh, he always felt one step ahead of things here in a way that is like good for Quark because that's in keeping with with the character as constructed, but just a little bit unsatisfying. But in every other way, nice episode. What about you? I'm a little torn because I think that this episode in going out of its way not to kind of prescribe a specific moral here, like it's trying not to be preachy or didactic about what it's saying about, you know, like the potential role of women in society. It winds up a little bit coming down on the idea of this is okay. And it's not okay, you know? And and it's also like a bit of a regression in terms of like, you know, if Star Trek is a context to explore big ideas and and chew on ways that society could make progress, this seems like further back in the list of of potential ways to make progress than things that it's tackled before. And I wonder if it's kind of like where things started to turn toward that, where Star Trek, because I think that like contemporary Star Trek is much less interested in that. And, and it, you know, that was the, the thing that TNG was about was like little morality plays that explored ideas about society. TNG would also provide a foil or a fish out of water to observe those situations and make judgments and maybe affect change. Right. This episode is unable to do that because everyone involved uh, is made of the thing that they're struggling against. They're just in that milieu. Yeah. And Yeah, and that makes it difficult. I wonder if you couldn't have rewritten this episode with instead of Rom going back to Ferenginar, sending someone else with him for whatever reason. Yeah, to, like Odo because it's, a, because it's like a criminal issue or something like that. Right. Or, yeah, like, and and that's another issue is like, what like what jurisdiction does the fucking Ferengi Commerce Authority have on Deep Space Nine? Right. It's it's the jurisdiction you allow as a participant in that culture. It feels like Quark being so far away running his own independent business could choose at any time to divorce himself from that if he wanted to. Yeah. So a bit of a bummer. And uh, I agree with you that I, I like the character and I loved all the little trade craft of what it's like to be in a in a house on the Ferengi yeah. homeworld and stuff. But uh on balance, I think this is kind of a bummer of an episode. Well, Adam, do you want to see if there are any Priority One messages for you? Gotta do it. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is from your wife. What? It, it is for Front Row Ryan... Why is my wife talking to Front Row Ryan? And the message goes like this. When we started dating seven years ago, you said the Trek character I most reminded you of is Cassidy Yates. I hadn't seen DS9, so I watched this ep and thought, what the fuck? A galactic <laughs> trucker? I hate baseball. I only wanted 
to be a Cat 2 character or Janeway back then, but I get it now. Yates is rad! And you're still like Worf. Good teeth, nice house, road drop. <laughs> wow, wow, your wife really knows our show. It's, it's good timing, too, because Cassidy Yates is in this episode. We've had a, a lot of, uh, of P1s that are, are coming out way after yeah. folks had hoped, just because of the, uh, the long list of P1s we have to get through. But uh, that one was well-timed. Look, I mean, Cassidy Yates may be a space trucker, but she's no large Marge. No. She's no uh, Ellen Ripley, either. <laughs> well, messages large and small can be submitted over at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. They are a great way to help the ongoing production of The Greatest Generation. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I've got two. I think it is the, uh, it's the combination of Bashir and O'Brien trying to break into the bar. <laughs> they get one scene in this episode, and that's it. Like, zip up the, the costumes, boys. We got a half a day for you. <laughs> and so they're, they're on the scene picking this lock and uh, just having a whole lot of fun doing it and also acting awkward about what they may or may not know about the date with Cassidy Yates that's yeah. coming up later. I loved uh, their performances here. I, I thought it was a really great moment. In like an episode made of awkward moments, this yeah. is right up there. Really well done and really well acted. So uh, I'm giving my Shimoda to both Bashir and O'Brien. What about you? Uh, Adam, my drunk Shimoda is quirk for having the squishiest head <laughs> there's this uh, point in this episode where it actually comes to blows between him and Rom and uh, Rom gets his hands on either side of Quark's head and it really betrays how squishy <laughs> the loaf is like yeah. the loaf is definitely made of like foam or something like that and the amount of pressure applied to Quark's head like his fingers get deep in that loaf and uh <laughs> I just uh you know you, you look at that at that dome and you picture that that's just skin over bone you know like that's right. a that's a like a like a like a tough <laughs> noggin and uh it is not <laughs> That's great so uh, for for being the squishiest head in Trek, Cork gets my drunk Shimoda for this episode. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. 
Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode? Next episode is Season 3, Episode 24, Shakar. Sent to Bajor on a mission against her former leader in the resistance movement, Kira ends up joining him as a fugitive. Oh. So a, uh, a big Kira app looks like. Feels like it's been a while. Yeah, the Shakar resistance cell, right? That's what her, yeah. her, her little terrorism gang was called. Is she going to have to uh, change her haircut? Oh, man. Get back long, into that? Long hair Kira. That's always yeah. fun. Yeah. Big fan. Well, Adam, do you want to uh, get out our board game and see how we are going to be doing this, uh, this upcoming episode? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Ben, we're currently on square 65. Three spots ahead. There is a 
banger, which would move us five spaces back. And then a couple squares ahead of that, there is a quarks bar. So, danger ahead for this roll. Got the die in my hands. I would say uh, you should blow on that die and then roll it. Okay, here goes. And I have rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Roller of two gets us to square 67. That is just one away from that banger. And we are safe once again, Ben. A nice regular old episode of uh, The Greatest Generation. Of course, one that I could uh, I could inflict my, uh, my quarks bar rain check upon you. No square is safe for me. Not as long as you have that coupon. Yeah. Um, well, uh, looking forward to doing that with you, Adam. Uh, I also look forward every week to uh, all the folks that go online to talk about the show. They use the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter, where Adam is at Cut for Time, and I'm at Benjamin AHR. Uh, there are also, uh, you know, groups on all of the socials media, uh, social medias that help Russians take over uh, countries that didn't do anything to Russia and other social networks also. <laughs> yeah, uh, myriad groups out there where uh, where groups of our viewers are, are sharing recipes or getting married. Any number of subjects in between those two. I've got to thank our buddy Adam Ragusia who made all the uh, custom music for this show and Dark Materia who made the original Picard song that is the uh, the DNA of our theme music here on The Greatest Generation. Got to thank Bill Tilly. We see you out there, Bill Tilly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making the great trading cards based on every episode that we produce. Always a big hit. Always super funny. Looking forward to seeing Bill Tilly at Star Trek Las Vegas again, hopefully. Uh, oh, that would be fun. Let's, let's make that a thing. Let's make that a pilgrimage, Ben. I'm into that as a thing. When is when is Star Trek Las Vegas? I have no idea. I don't keep track of the dates of events. That's not that's not part of my brain. July 31st. Oh, that's a long way away. That is a hell of a long way away, Adam. Jeez. Uh, Adam, we got to thank all of the friends of DeSoto that head over to MaximumFun.org/slash/donate and uh, put up a few bucks a month to support our show. Uh, starting at five bucks a month uh, and going up from there, uh, you can support the ongoing production of this program to keep it free for everyone. And uh, that is the way we support ourselves and, uh, you know, the way we are able to devote so much time and energy to this project and uh, the way we get to go on tour and, uh, you know, uh 2018's tour was a huge success for us. We really want to do more, uh, more stuff in 2019, and uh, and uh, because because we have that support, we are able to uh, work on stuff like that. So thank you. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation: Deep Space Nine, where uh, the hosts may or may not grow their hair out. <laughs> Mother.
I know you're not like other females. You like to think about things. You have opinions. Mugi, 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 mugi. Is that a compliment or an accusation? Mugi. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.